0: you guys want to open your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 8, we're going to be going through verses 1 through 21. It's Mark 8, 1 through 21. In those days the multitude, being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these these people with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. So he commanded the multitude to set down on the ground, and they took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he had sent them away. Immediately got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanitha. Thank you, Noah. <laughs> then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from having, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does the generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, No sign shall be given to these to this generation. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed for the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take the bread, and they did not have any more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, "Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod." And they reasoned among themselves, saying, "It is because we have no bread." But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember, When I broke the five loaves and the five thousand, How many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. Also, when I broke the seven for the four thousand, How many large baskets of full fragments did you take up? And they said, Seven. So he said to them, How is it you do not understand? you join me, we pray for the word. Father God, we just thank you for your word, Lord. To know you is to pick up this book and open the pages, and we see you, we feel you, we know you. And Lord, we just ask that you come and be among us, till our hearts, prepare our the soil of our hearts for the seed of your word, Lord. We ask that you bless bless Jackie as he brings forth your word, that, Lord, it'll just be planted in our hearts. And, Lord, we just come before you and give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor forever and ever. Amen.
1: Sometimes when we come to the word, uh, we come to, to stories like the one that we're we're looking at this morning, and we realize, man, we've we've heard uh, this story before. And here's what we do: we have a tendency to become dull of hearing, and really, it's a problem we're going to see with the disciples this morning. They were dull of hearing. The enemies of Jesus, they just were unbelieving. But Jesus in the beginning he's trying to tell the people something about Himself. Every, every time He ministers, every time He talked, every time He shared, there's something about Jesus that He's trying to express to the people who are there. And especially to His disciples. Something that they can... Grab a hold of. And for you and I today, that doesn't change. God still wants to express something about him, his nature, his purpose, his plan in your life and in mine. And we have to be careful that we don't become dull of hearing. We don't get so used to hearing the the same story or the same thing. That mic's still on? I'm going to go run away. Okay, maybe not. We can still become uh, dull of hearing because we've heard it, we've seen it. Oh, I've looked at this before. But here's the challenge. The Bible, the Word of God tells us that, that it is alive and powerful. That means that it is always able to speak into your life, whatever you're going through, at whatever time you're going through it. Not most of the time able, not mostly able, always able. And the other side of that is you don't have to go somewhere special. Now, I'm not a big fan of the flip it and put your finger in it and come up with a a word from God because you might land on where Judas went and hung himself. Now, go do likewise. That would be be bad, right? So so we don't want to do stuff like that. But you can open to that scripture and read it. And as you read through that scripture, God will speak to you. He will open your heart to something in that passage that he wants you to grasp. If you don't become dull of hearing. So we don't want that. We want to learn the lesson that that the Lord has for us this morning so that we can learn. The, The Bible tells us repetition is the mother of learning, right? We know that because Jesus teaches the same things over and over and over and over again. He does that for a reason. Because we need to hear things over and over again to grasp it, right? So as we work our way through prayerfully, we'll see God do that work in us. So let's take a look. Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Familiar story, a little bit different from the feeding of the 5,000. It says, in those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat. So Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude. Remember, we talked about this before. One of the things we always see about Jesus is he didn't see the problem. He had eyes to see the need. And we have to ask ourselves, which set of eyes do we have? And if I'm honest, I have eyes to see the problem. Now, it doesn't make any difference which way you see. The point is to recognize how you tend to see and be aware of it. So that I can, I can recognize. Now, my tendency is to see the problem, so I try to take it in before I engage my lips. And if some of us could learn to do that better, we'd have less backpedaling to do with other folk, right? Oh, you know, I just said the first thing that came to my mind, and I really wish I'd have held that for just a little bit longer. So I want to have eyes. I want to have eyes like Christ that move with compassion, that doesn't initially see the hassle or the problem or the issue, but rather looks with compassion for an opportunity, right, to share the love of Christ with somebody, to recognize. I think it's important for us to recognize that a lot of people... Have a tendency, and sometimes I catch myself doing it, wanting to peddle Christ, like you know, really you ought to try him. You know, he's he like he's some some you know cheap thing at the dollar store. So let's settle that. the The gospel is not something you should make a decision about. The gospel is a command. Jesus said, "Repent and believe." He didn't say, think about it, chew about it. If you want a relationship with Christ, repent and believe. It's a, it's a biblical command. Come. The Bible tells us that only those whom the Father draws will will come to Him. So when we, when we go forward and we look for those opportunities in compassion to share the love of Christ, it's an opportunity for us to let people see what Christ is like. That we would move with compassion as Jesus did. Well, Jesus said... He was moved with compassion for a reason. Look what he said. Because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. So they had a little mini fast going. They're out away from any place to buy, any place to be able to get anything. So only the, only the folks who packed something had anything at all as, in terms of something to eat. So for three days they hadn't had anything to eat. And Jesus said, if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way. For some of them have come from afar. You know, that's still true today. The world is starving to death. And Jesus Christ is the bread. And we need to give that to them. We need to give that to them so that they can be satisfied. Because they're not going to make it without him. They won't make it home. They got to have that relationship with Christ. So verse 4 says, Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Now it's a different question. Last time the question was different. This time they're looking around There's they're like, we had a, I don't think we got nothing, Jesus. There's not even a store I can go to. There's no place, no way to solve the problem that's laid out before us. Remember I told you, disciples, quick to see the problem. <laughs> hey, you feed them. Uh, we don't have any food. And I, we can't even go buy any. I don't know what we're going to do. Now, you would think, right? You would think somewhere in the back of their mind, they'd be like, this, this seems like this is familiar. <laughs> and just about the time I think I want to bust on the disciples, I realize how many times God must be in heaven looking at me going, come on, Jackie. Dum, dum, dum. This ought to sound familiar to you. It ought to sound familiar. This is something I do. But... But it doesn't. Sometimes we get, uh, we get overwhelmed by the circumstance we find ourselves in, and we're not able to see, and that's where the disciples are. So he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said seven. Now this is different than the last time. This is different. Totally different feedings, not a retelling of the of the prior one. There's less people, there's more scraps left at the end, different kind of baskets, and there's a reason for all that. So hold tight and, and we'll get to it. So they said they had seven loaves. <laughs> so he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and he gave thanks and broke them and gave them to his disciples and set uh, to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. And they also had a few small fish, having blessed them. He said to them also, or set them also before him. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away, and immediately got into a boat with his disciples, and came to the region of Dalmanutha. So what's going on? Okay, Jesus is saying something about himself. He's saying something about himself, so let's start with that. What is it that Jesus is telling them? He's saying, I am the bread of life. He's letting the people know that there is no life apart from me. No life apart from me. And he's comparing the, the comparison that he brings goes all the way back to Exodus. In Exodus chapter 16 verse 4, the Lord is talking to Moses. Listen to what he says. Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Sound familiar? I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people will go out and gather a certain quota every day. So that I might test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So everything that we have taking place in the New Testament. In the Old Testament we have a type or a picture. An illustration if you will. Of the same event in the Old Testament. So manna is that expression. I want you to think about it for a moment. Because God never called manna manna. The people called it that. God said, I will give you bread from heaven. The people looked at that bread and they called it manna. Which means, what is this? What is this? It tastes like a sweet wafer, like a honey uh, coated wafer of some kind. It tasted good, it wasn't bad. But that's what they called it. And we see the same thing. Jesus as the bread from heaven who comes. A picture of the the real manna, bread from heaven, Jesus being that real bread, he comes. To some people, it tastes sweet. To others, it's what's it? What's this? We didn't ask for a Messiah like this. We didn't ask for something like this. Jesus is showing himself to the multitude as the bread of life. Look, in John chapter 6, he gives us this information. It says... In verse 48, I am the bread of life. One of the seven I am statements. Keep in mind, in Exodus, when Moses is coming before God, and Moses wants to know God. He wants to know the characteristics of God. Today, we still struggle with a comprehension of the characteristics of God. So when God was revealing himself to Moses, he said, I am. Now, for Moses... The, the, the Hebrew words that he uses lays out for him the idea that I am becoming. I am the becoming one. I am what you need. And so through the Old Testament, that was the name by which God was known. I am what you need. It's interesting because in the Gospel of John, Jesus comes on the scene and he lays out for us seven I am statements, ego, I, me statements, where he is revealing to us the character of God through his life on earth. And one of those statements is this one, I am the bread of life. I am that which sustains. I am that which in which you consist, where you have your being. I am the bread of life. He says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. So how'd that bread of life work out for them? So this is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And the people were confused when he had this teaching. And a lot of them thought, oh, Jesus is telling us we're supposed to eat him. Some kind of cannibalism. No, what he's saying is he needs to be a part of your life. What happens to bread when you eat it? it goes into your body. Uh, thanks, Noah. That's perfect. It goes into your body. Uh, for those of you who didn't hear him, Noe he said it goes out the other end. Eventually that is true. But the point is, it goes into your body, and that bread becomes a part of who you are, right? It becomes a part of your body. And so, that's what Jesus is saying. i got to be a part of you. Unless I'm a part of you, you'll never have life. You'll never have life. You may may sustain a need for a period of time, right? If I sit down and eat a loaf of bread, my hunger may go away. But what's that hunger going to do? It's going to come back. But if I make Jesus Christ part of my life, what he says is, you will have life eternal. But I've got to be a part of you. I've got to be a part of you. Not just an intellectual assent, Not just an idea or a concept floating around in your mind. I've got to become part of you. To take up residence within us, right? And Jesus tells us how that happens. It's not complex, how does that happen? It happens when a man repents and believes. When a man repents and believes. So this is what Jesus is expressing through this miracle. Look, I am the bread of life. I'm that which gives you life, that sustains you. Think about where he was born. Where Everybody ought to know, right? Where's Jesus born? Bethlehem, right? Man, manger in Bethlehem. So he's born in Bethlehem. What's Bethlehem mean? House of bread. Do you think that just happens to work out that way? You think it just happens that the bread of life is born in the house of bread? And that that was spoken of in Micah 5 two To say, hey, look, uh, this is what's going to happen. The Messiah is going to be born in you. The real bread from heaven pictured for us in the book of Exodus. It's all part of God's purpose and plan. What about when Jesus comes to the end of his life? In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this. That when he had given thanks, he broke it. What's he talking about? Jesus breaking the bread at the Last Supper, remember? He broke the bread and he said, take and eat. This is what? My body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. My body is your bread. That which sustains you. This sacrifice that I'm making is that which sustains you. The multitude, they needed bread. He's showing to them, he's saying to them, I am the bread of life. I am that which you need. And he wants them to know something. Remember I told you we'd come to the reason why the feeding of the 4,000 is different than the 5. In the feeding of the 5,000, we're talking about all Jews. And the feeding of the 4,000... We're in the area uh, of the Decapolis, which is a Gentile area, which means there are Jews present and Gentiles. It's not just a Jewish crowd. 4,000 gathered there. It's interesting because Jesus prayed twice. You go back and look at the feeding of the 5,000. He prayed once over the bread. Why? Because that's where the blessing is said in a Jewish home. The blessing that says... uh, Thank you, Lord of the heaven and the earth, the maker of bread, that you have given this for our sustenance. It was a typical blessing, a Jewish blessing over the bread. But here, not only does he bless the bread, what else? He blesses the fish. That's not Jewish. He's making, he's, he's giving a message. He's telling the, the Gentiles as well as the Jews, look, we receive that which God gives us through prayer. And then at the end, the feeding of the 5,000, you remember they gathered up how many baskets? It's a test. If you don't pass, you've got to stay for another hour of sermon. <laughs> so, so they had 12 baskets. And the word for basket there is a little basket. It was a traditional Jewish basket. At the end of this, they gather up seven baskets. But the word for basket here is a large uh, wicker hamper. Big basket. In fact, you might remember it in Acts chapter 9, verse 25, when Paul was escaping from Damascus, by the way, a Gentile city. How did they let him down over the wall? In a basket, right? So obviously, when the little he's not sitting on a little bitty basket sticking out over the top. That's not what they they put him down in the basket, put him up over the wall. So he's in a, a big hamper. It's a it's a gentile style you have the feeding of the 5,000, 12 baskets gathered together, in which Jesus is saying, look, I'm sufficient for Israel. But here, with the Gentile crowd, reaching out to a mixed multitude, Jews and and Gentiles, not only as he said he's sufficient for them, but seven, that's the number of completion. You have both people in the crowd. He's not only saying I'm enough for Israel, he's saying I'm enough for the whole world. I'm enough. I am what is needed. So we recognize this is part of the story. The other thing that we want to see is the supply always exceeds the demand. The people ate till they were hungry, and what happened? Seven baskets left. What does that tell us? That the supply that Christ has exceeds the hunger. He has more than what he needs in order to save all who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is a message that Jesus is laying out for them. This is a message that he wants them to be able to grasp. I am sufficient for it all. But as we come to the next section, as Jesus leaves that area and he's gathered with his disciples, we move immediately into the blindness of his enemies. <clears throat> Look what his enemies have to say. Verse 11, then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him. That's something new, right? We haven't seen that before? <laughs> oh yeah, that's, that's what the Pharisees do. They come out to argue. They come out to dispute, seeking from him a sign, testing him. That doesn't seem odd to you guys. Has there not? Have we not talked enough about signs? How, how about ten lepers in one day? I, I will always go to the lepers before I go anywhere else because there's this little chapter in Leviticus chapter 14 that has a uh, a procedure to for the priest to do whenever a leper is cleansed, whenever a leper is healed. There was a particular sacrifice that they were to make. A particular thing that they were supposed to do, and up until the time of Christ, they never used it. You certainly can't prove to me they did. The only people that were ever healed of leprosy were Gentiles. They didn't go to the priest. So when Jesus comes on one day, ten lepers cleansed. They show up at the at the temple and they say, "Hey, we we've, we're lep- we we're We used to be lepers. We need to be cleansed." And the priest is going, "Man, there's something we're supposed to do. Where's that at again? Oh yeah, give me the scroll, Leviticus." And they open up Leviticus, they find Leviticus 14, and Leviticus 14 tells them about a sacrifice. They're supposed to take two birds, which is a creature from heaven. And they take one of those birds and they put it in a clay pot. Which means that which comes from heaven is putting on flesh. And then they hold it over living water, running water, and they kill it. And they take the blood, they take some hyssop and they dip it in the blood in in the clay pot. And they sprinkle that blood on the other bird. And they let that bird go. And it goes back to the heavens. None of that sounds familiar to you? And they sprinkle the blood seven times on the leper. And he is made clean. It's an application of the blood of the cross, a picture of Jesus coming from heaven, putting on flesh, dying for our sins. The blood being applied to the leper who, who is made clean by the application of the blood. That's the thing the priest did. All of a sudden at the time of Christ, they're doing that all the time. Some guy comes walking into the temple, the priest looks at him, don't tell me, you used to be a leper. Yeah, I did, I'm cleansed now. Wow, there's ten guys before you. I know what to do now. That should be opening people's eyes, don't you think? The, 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 the cleansing, or the giving of sight to the blind, the lame walking and leaping like a deer, isn't that all fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy? So when the Pharisees come and say, give me a sign, <clears throat> man, all I can think when I hear that is, here's your sign. But they're... But the but the, the sign they're getting is not the kind of sign they want. Yeah. They're not getting the kind of sign that they want, man. And so they say, look, we want a sign. They're testing him. Look what it says in verse 12. He sighed deeply in his spirit. And he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Why? why? When it says he sighed deeply, it means he was super frustrated. Super frustrated. Like, what? Why do you seek after a sign? You wouldn't believe even if somebody was to rise from the dead. So he says to them, no sign shall be given to this generation. And the saddest thing ever happens next. He gets in a boat and he goes away. And that time comes for, for people that uh, that have heard the gospel over and over and over again, and the opportunity to come to Jesus, to hear the command to repent and receive and believe what Jesus has done, that comes over and over and over again. And then they say, one more time, Lord, show us a sign. It wasn't that much earlier in Mark 3.22, it says that the scribes came down from Jerusalem and said, He has Beelzebub He casts out demons by the ruler of demons. The work that he had done, they attributed to Satan. In Matthew 16, verse 4, Matthew gives us one little phrase. He expounds on one little part, that everything happens the same, except as Jesus says, no sign will be given. He makes one little phrase. He says, except the sign of Jonah, and he left. What's the sign of Jonah? Remember the symbol of the sacrifice that took place for the leper? The sign of Jonah is 3 days and 3 nights he was in the belly of a fish. And then, just like resurrection, he was birthed again on the shores. Jesus is saying, "No, there's no there's no sign for you but the resurrection." His enemies are blind. They won't see. Their problem is not a problem of evidence. Please stop believing that the problem is a problem of evidence. There's no lack of evidence in the Christian worldview. The problem is not a problem of evidence. The problem is a problem of sin. Jesus came. The light came. But men loved the darkness rather than the light. It's not like, you know, there's just not enough evidence. There's just not enough evidence. That's the craziest thing. I had somebody tell me one time, <clears throat> not that long ago too, and I had to really fight myself it, to respond, he said, "I don't believe in anything I can't see." And in my brain, I was like, oh, there are so many responses to that." <laughs> like, well, "You obviously don't have a brain, then you haven't seen that." <clears throat> you must not. You must not believe in the wind. You've never seen that. And uh, just over and over, just all kind of things. Look, the issue in those cases it's not evidence okay they may say that but that's not what it is it's sin they want the darkness rather than the light that's the problem what is our job we give them jesus we proclaim the gospel what is the good news what is the gospel that jesus christ came into the world to save sinners of whom i am chief and that what paul said <clears throat> so repent and believe That's our responsibility just to give that. God does the rest of it, right? We don't have to be salesmen. We just have to be willing to tell, to proclaim, to herald. That's what preacher means. Someone who heralds, who gives the good news. But they were blind. They were blind and they could not see the message that Jesus had been living his life to tell them. And then we come to the disciples we have the blindness of his enemies, the message that Jesus has to tell us, and now we have the dullness of the disciples. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. So obviously, they're like a typical guy. <laughs> <clears throat> this happens to me all the time. I've been so blessed. I got a, I got a boat, and uh, uh, it was, was very kindly given to me, and then it was very kindly worked on so that I could use it. And <clears throat> now I go fishing. Uh, so if you go, where's Jackie been? I went fishing. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. I'll give you guys all. I, I don't. I don't have a special hole. Let me tell you how it works. Seven o'clock at night, get the salmon, and by nine thirty, I caught my limit on walleye, and I can go home. And I do. And then you can do that again the next day. <laughs> you get your limit starts over the next day. Man, <clears throat> so I've been eating fish tacos like crazy there's but you know what i i tend to forget to bring anything to eat so i'm in such a rush okay okay i'm done i got got out of the church and i can go and i get the boat and i got I got fishing poles i got the bait okay i think i got everything i get out there and about the time i put the pole in the water i go i'm kind of hungry but by then it's too late to get something to eat huh? so the bible tells us that here the disciples are with jesus they get in the boat And right about that time, just like I do, they start looking at each other and going, did you bring lunch? No, I didn't. We had seven baskets of bread left over. You guys didn't grab one of those? Oh, no, I didn't think about that. (coughs) So all that food, they're in a boat, no food. And so they're a little sensitive. Okay, you're going to see it. Now the disciples have forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. (coughs) And he charged them, Jesus said to them, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, He's telling us that because we forgot bread. No, you boneheads. So let me, let me back it up and explain it so, so, we, so we are getting it. When Jesus says, when he talks about leaven, think about what leaven does. What does leaven do? It puffs things up, right? It expands, it, it helps bread to rise. Oftentimes in Scripture... It's a picture of evil. So just think about the Pharisees. There's something in the Pharisees that swells. This evil within them that swells, and there's no room for them to receive the truth. And in Herod, same thing, right? There's something in Herod that's swelling. This evil within him that swells, and there's no room for them to receive the truth. So Jesus is looking at his disciples. He wants them to get this lesson. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like Herod. Be careful of that leaven. Now, he wouldn't tell them, be careful of that leaven, if they weren't in any danger of having that leaven in their life. In fact, when Jesus told the parable of the sower, you guys remember, he told the parable of the sower, there were things that choked out the fruitfulness of the word, right? Cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches. We don't have to put a name on anyone. He's just saying, there can be leaven in your life that pushes out the fruitfulness of the word, and you're just like those Pharisees, who doesn't matter how many times I show them, doesn't matter how many, how many lepers I cleanse or how many people I heal, they can't see. The problem's not external, it's internal. The problem's not outside of them or a lack of something they need on the outside. It is sin swollen up and cherished in their life that makes them hard of hearing. It is the same sin swollen up in the, in the life of Herod that makes his heart hard. And the seed comes and bounces off. And it bounces off and is not having the effect. It could if they didn't cherish their sin. But the disciples forgot lunch that day. And they've heard this stuff before, right? So, they're dull of hearing. Oh, Jesus is mad because we don't have no lunch. I'm so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus is going to explain it. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if this ever happens to you guys, but the, the disciples are missing the point. Watch out for the evil in the lives the love of sin in the lives of the Pharisees and, the, and the, uh, Herod. <clears throat> and so, there have been an occasion where I'm not quite getting the message that God's giving to me. I don't, I'm sure it doesn't happen to you guys, but there have been times in my life that happens. <clears throat> and I don't know, I kind of liken it to God coming very close to me. he, he Looking right in my eyes. Jackie. And he lovingly puts his hands on my ears. Right in front of me. He's got his hands on my ears. And he begins to speak to me. But he uses exclamation points. The exclamation points that God uses in my life as he's holding my ears. He says, Jackie, are you listening? And then he goes, <laughs> bounces my head off of something. <laughs> and all of a sudden I go, I'm listening now just hear it just, just see if I'm not right but Jesus being aware of it said to them why do you reason because you have no bread hear it do you not yet perceive nor understand is your heart still hard having eyes do you not see having ears do you not hear Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of fragments did you take up? Now at that point, they're focused. (laughs) I'm I'm focused. I'm with you. Hey, I don't don't know. Maybe you guys have a hard time seeing your heavenly father like that. Then just picture your earthly father. Because I promise you, he'd done that to you once. No? No? Okay, I'm the only one who had a dad like that. There are certain times where dad's talking and I'm I'm looking, but I'm not paying any attention. Fathers, you've never seen that view in any of your children, right? (laughs) And at some point, there is a, I'm going to get your attention. Now, we didn't do it so good, but God always does it right. The book of Hebrews, it says, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. What does that mean? That means there are times where God disciplines us so that we get on the same wavelength with him. I, I would rather God discipline me and I'm on his wavelength than he just let me fly off south somewhere. <clears throat> if we, when, when we don't discipline our children and we just let them go off on their own someplace and we've never given them any discipline, the Bible calls that not love. The Bible says if you love your child, you discipline them promptly. doesn't mean you lose it and you act like a knucklehead. It just means you get their attention so the lesson's remembered. And that's the same thing that God does with us. He, and right here, he's, he's getting their attention. They know by the, like the third or fourth question that, that I, I think you made Jesus mad. I don't think I did. You're the one who forgot the lunch. You know those guys are kind of going like that, right? So he gets their attention. Now he asks them. He wants them to recognize. So he said, how many fragments full did you take up? Now look, this is the point. This is not something that we're trying to jam out of the text. He's asking them pointedly, how many baskets? Twelve. That was the response, right? Twelve baskets. What does twelve speak of? The nation of Israel. It's always the twelve, the twelve tribes of Israel. When you see the twelve stars around a woman's head, what's he talking about? The twelve tribes of Israel. Twelve comes up. Every time twelve comes up, twelve speaking, pointing back, shouting to us, Israel. <clears throat> so what was the lesson of the first one? We talked about 12 fragments. I'm sufficient for Israel. Okay? He's saying, How many how many? I want you to think through it with me. There were 12. How how many? He's not asking them, how much bread do we have? He's saying, how much do we have left over? 12 baskets. So there's an emphasis on the 12. And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. Then Jesus, I I feel. as I read the text, I try, I try to put myself in because we, we read things so often, we just go, we're in such a hurry. <clears throat> Slow down. After Jesus said, How many baskets? Twelve. How many baskets? Seven. Then he let that ruminate. Because that was the point of those two sets of miracles. Jesus is trying to express to his disciples I'm sufficient for all of Israel, I'm sufficient for all of the world. I'm not worried about whether you have lunch or not. And those other two groups of people can't receive what I'm trying to give them because their heart's full of sin. Because the problem is not an evidence problem. The problem is a sin problem, which is why when Jesus calls a man to the gospel, he always calls him to repent first. What do we have to deal with? Our sin. You don't think you have any of that? You can't get to Jesus. You get to Jesus because you're broke. He said, I didn't come for the the healthy, I came for the sick. That doesn't mean that there are healthy people out there. It just means he can't help you if you think you're healthy. If you think you're good. If you think you got it all handled. Jesus don't have medicine for that. But if you come to him and you say, I'm sick. I'm broken. I'm stained. Then all he's looking for is a heart to turn from a sin and turn to God. And he's right there, able to save to the uttermost. But he says, look, I can't save those guys because their heart's full of sin and they won't let it go. I can't save Herod. I can't do nothing for Herod. Why? Because his heart's full of sin and he won't let it go. He wants his sin, not me. He's being satisfied on his sin. They're being satisfied on their sin. So while I'm sufficient for it all, I am able to save any who will come. It's only efficient for those who call upon the name of the Lord that shall be saved. Right? You get what I mean? It's not universal. While the blood of Christ is able to save the entire world, it is not a universal salvation. It is a universal call. Jesus saying, come to me. And as many as comes to him, that so they receive what he has to give, right? Are there some who won't come? Sure there are. There are some who won't come. Who are happy in their sin. So it's Jesus lets this ruminate. let's the idea, I'm sufficient for the twelve. I, I cover Israel. I'm sufficient for seven. Complete. I'm sufficient for it all. Jew and Gentile together. I'm sufficient for all those things. And he kind of lets it sink in to the to the hearts. He's trying to let it sink in, trying to let them remember. Look, dullness of hearing is always solved by remembrance. By remembering. Just go with me. In Joshua chapter 4, you guys can look at it when you've got time, that we have the story of the children of Israel crossing the Jordan River. Everybody with me? The children of Israel cross the Jordan River. They get to the other side. God has them do some unique things. you remember what it is? <clears throat> he tells them to go back to the middle of the Jordan and pull out stones. They're called stones of remembrance, right? And he has them build a pillar of 12 stones, a pile of 12 stones. And the, they're they're stoked. Why? Why? I just want you to think about how happy they are. They crossed the Jordan. We've been wandering around in the desert for forty years because we're we've been a little lame. But now, <clears throat> God's opened the door for us to come to the Promised Land, and so we're moving again. We're not just trapped in our sin. We're leaving that behind, and we're coming across the Jordan River, and we're entering into the Promised Land. And as they're entering into the Promised Land, He has them set up a a pillar of remembrance. A place to remember the faithfulness of God and how God's moved in their life in the past. And so they would know if he's moved that way for us in the past, he'll move that way for us again. And it trains their hearing. So what you'll notice, if you look through the book of Joshua, they had a base camp for all their military operations. You know where it was? Gilgal. Right where that pile of 12 stones was. After every victory, where did they go? Back to the place of remembrance. What about after every defeat? Where did they go? Back to the place of remembrance. All the way through, hard times, good times, struggling times, where are they constantly coming back to? Constantly coming back to the idea, the concept of Gilgal the concept that here is where we remember wisdom here is where we gather strength in the place of remembrance in the place of knowing that god's with us and he's and he's done these things he's gone before us and he is sufficient that's all in the place of remembrance i have my own gilgal i have my own stones of remembrance that i go back to and i go yeah man god i remember that And it encourages me. But more than that, more than my own personal Gilgal, I also have the rock of God's Word that tells me over and over again that He is sufficient for whatever my problem, whatever my trial, whatever thing I am facing. Then in verse 21, Jesus said, Do you not yet understand? Do you get it yet? Do you still not understand that I'm the bread of life for the whole world? Is he our bread? Is he what sustains you? Or is there something else? And if He is that which sustains us, well then what does this mean to the way I live? Do I live my life as a response to the reality that Jesus Christ is sufficient for me? That He's everything I need? And do we understand what it means for the world? And does the world know? The message that Christ has to give. In the wilderness, when the children of Israel were bitten by serpents, the Lord came to Moses and He said, Make a bronze serpent and fix it on a staff. And lift it up in the middle of the camp. And everyone who looks to that bronze serpent shall be saved. And Jesus said, just like that bronze staff, I must be lifted up. I must be exalted. Just like that bronze serpent, he was affixed to a staff and staked into the ground. And everyone who looks to him will be saved. But not everyone will look And I'm not responsible to make them. I'm just responsible to tell them, Jesus is sufficient for you. He is able to save you to the uttermost. And he commands all men everywhere to repent and believe. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.